Thanks. Um, 1 John 4, and we're going to start with verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. May God bless the reading of his word. I told you it was going to be short today, two verses. All right. And so, so far, again, in chapter 4 of First John, he's been talking about evidence. He's been talking about assurance. And one of the greatest evidences, one of the greatest assurances for Christians is if they know God and if they um, have this community together, to know that they really do have God and to believe in the love that they have is love itself. Is if they reflect the love that God has for his people onto other people. And so it's with this that we continue on with that theme of love. And here we go. Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. John now continues with the necessity of confession. Confession has strong roots within Christianity and early in Judaism. Generally, when we consider confession, we think of John the Baptist and his mandate to both confess and to repent of sins. Jesus continued the same mantra in his ministry. However, in this case, the confession is not necessarily focused on one sin, but instead that Jesus is the Son of God. To confess that Jesus is the Son of God is to acknowledge all of who Jesus said he was and is, all he taught, and therefore all that his disciples teach. It is not that we confess any Jesus, but Jesus who is the Son of God. It is not enough to confess Jesus as a good moral teacher, but we must go further in acknowledging the Jesus in history who was both God and man. What occurs for those who make this confession? God abides in him and he in God. This concept of abiding or remaining is one which John has repeatedly taught throughout his letter. In fact, up until this point, John has used the word abide 22 times in the ver- in this letter. Further, this concept of abiding shares something significant with the gospel of John as well. There we find all the Trinity involved with abiding, whether it is the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus and abiding with him after his baptism, or Jesus' teaching that those who follow his teaching abide in him, the fact that Jesus abode in the Father's love. All of these show the reality that the Trinity is heavily involved with this understanding, this concept of abiding. Because of this, it is quite the statement for us to abide in God and God in us. It reflects the reality of us being in God's love through Christ. In this way, we can experience the companionship of the Trinity. Yet we can never forget that confession is necessary for God to abide in us and we in him. Without the confession of who Jesus is, it is impossible for God to abide in us and us in him. This leads to our second verse, 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. 
This verse connects with the previous verse, as we see, by the so, or the and at the beginning. Because of what was said previously concerning the confession of Jesus Christ, and because God abides in those who confess, and they abide in him, John and those who confess can know and believe the love of God. It is only once this occurs, however, that such knowledge, such belief, can be attained. This knowledge and this belief are tied to Jesus. It is through knowing and believing in Jesus that it is possible for them to also know and believe in the boundless love of God. This makes sense when we consider what John has said previously. That true love is found in God loving us first. In this way, it reminds us of the necessity of not only faith, but also of knowledge. Both are important for Christians, as both point us to the origin, which is God's love. And so it is that love is the foundation. It is not any kind of love, but specifically the love that God has for us. Such love for us has been made known through Jesus, who is the propitiation for our sins. Yet even further, this love of God is not only a transcendental love or transcending love, but is more specifically a personal love. It transcends all other loves, but it also reaches each of us personally and then overflows corporately to us as individuals. From this, we have assurance in the salvation which comes from Christ. Because God is love, those who abide in love abides in God and God abides in them. Those who love then can have greater assurance in their salvation because God is love. Now this does not mean any kind of love, but specifically the love of God found in 1 Corinthians. Such love is not synonymous with acceptance as we've seen so many times, but instead recognizes a change of heart away from sin and toward God. We see this clearly when we read 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, which says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We notice the relational aspect to this love and what is, it is and is not. It is patient and kind, but it is not, it does not envy, boast, it is not arrogant or rude. Likewise, it does not insist on its own way, nor is it irritable or resentful. Pertinent to this discussion is that it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. The wrongdoing is found in sin, unrighteousness, and unrepentance. Truth is a reflection of abiding in Jesus, confessing him as the Son of God, and living according to him in this life in repentance and faith. Whoever abides in this kind of love, then, abides in God and vice versa. Thus, we find it, it is all connected together in this confession of Jesus Christ, without which it is impossible to abide in God or to abide in love. Nor is it possible to know or have belief in the love of God without first a confession of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, the main point of these few verses are to lay the foundation for us into the next portion of the letter. John tells us now that we are unable to know and have belief in the love of God without first confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Once this 
Once this happens, or once this occurs, however, we abide in God and His love, and God and His love abides in us. So this is the main application that I came up with today. So this is the main one. Be ready for it. Confession. In today's text, we clearly see the necessity of confession when it comes to Jesus Christ. Oftentimes when we tend to equate a verbal confession of Jesus as the Christ or as the Son of God as the necessary key for salvation. This is true. Confession of Jesus Christ is absolutely necessary for salvation as we see in today's text. Unfortunately, we tend to leave it at that without recognizing what it is that we are fully confessing to. So it is with this that we consider what it means to confess Jesus as the Son of God. First, it is a confession which recognizes the very true fact that Jesus has come into the world with flesh and is God. This piece of the confession goes against many who believe that Jesus was just a good moral teacher, but not the Son of God. Likewise, it goes against the idea that Jesus is merely an apparition and he wasn't human. No, to confess that Jesus is the Son of God is to confess all of who Jesus was while he walked the earth, and all he is and all he is as he is sitting right right now at the right hand of the Father. Because of this, we notice that there is a doctrinal element to this confession. As we have seen repeatedly in 1 John, doctrines, what we believe, matters. Theology matters. Any who would say that theology is unimportant doesn't understand the repercussions of their statement. Anything related to God that we think or proclaim is theology by nature. To believe, then, that theology doesn't matter is to say that what we think or what we proclaim about God doesn't matter. If this is the case, then you can do away with all the scriptures because the necessity for instruction disappears. As it is, the scriptures warn us of false teachings and false doctrines, and therefore inform us of what is right and wrong, good and bad, in theology and in doctrine. Therefore, theology and doctrines do matter, and it is important that our theology and our doctrines originate from the scriptures rather than from ourselves. Now, second, this confession of Jesus as the Son of God is to go further than acknowledging who Jesus is in his personhood. This is a major point. If we acknowledge Jesus in his personhood, then we will also, or we must also, acknowledge him in his teachings and in his authority. We are to acknowledge him as our Savior from sins, but also as our Lord and our King, whom we are to follow in obedience. Therefore, to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God is not merely meant to be a proclamation with our lips. It is to penetrate us fully. For those whom the proclamation is only on their lips, the following warnings are given to us from the Scriptures. From Hosea 8, 1-3, Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, My God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. We notice, even though there is a claim to know God, God recognizes the truth through their lifestyles, in which they break their covenant with God through their lawlessness. Those who then claim to know God, who make a confession of God, and yet live in a way which is entirely contradictory to who he is and what he has called us to, show that they are liars and not in the truth, as First John says. 
We see this further in Matthew 7. It's a text that we, we should all memorize by now. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And Jesus continues the next verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here we find Jesus being very, very clear. Those who claim to be prophets, who claim to know God, yet live in a way which is contrary to what God has commanded them, shows themselves to be wolves rather than sheep. To bear fruit in verses 15 through 20 is to live a life of repentance away from sin and toward God in righteousness, holiness, and love. It is verses 21 through 23, however, we find the reality that those who may even confess Jesus as Lord, Lord, and yet live in lawlessness do not truly know Jesus, and more importantly, are not known by Jesus. Most people believe it is important for us to know Jesus, yet it is just as important, if not more important, for Jesus to know us. This is what we find in 1 John in today's readings. Those who confess Jesus as the Son of God abide in God and He in them. In this way they know God and are known by God. Therefore, this confession of all of who Jesus is will result in a change in us to follow Him and His teachings to bear good fruit in our lives. Now third, this confession is relational. Jesus tells us, In John, that if we belong to him, we will keep his commandments, and especially the commandment to love one another. Thus, to confess Jesus as the Son of God is to acknowledge the reality that he has called us to live amongst each other in a certain way. That way is in love, according to the scriptures. Thus, when we look at these three elements, and I'm sure there could be plenty more, we see that confession in Jesus is not something which is simply stated. It is not enough for us to assume that a confession means um, consent in one area. All of these areas are necessary for a full confession of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It will not do for us to skimp out on some of these. All of them are necessary for us to acknowledge. All are necessary for us to understand and to fathom, to reach for and to grasp. For a long time we have had our hands held by the sinner's prayer. We have believed if individuals will pray the sinner's prayer that they will automatically be saved. Unfortunately, there are many within our communities who have prayed the sinner's prayer and now 5, 10, 25, 50 years later, there is no fruit. I would argue then that it is unwise for us to assume that these individuals are truly saved without any evidence of their salvation according to the texts we just read. True salvation will bring fruit. Even if it is hard for some believers, fruit will be evident through right beliefs, behaviors, and relationally with others. Some may find it harsh to speak of individuals in this way. Some will wonder what right we have to discuss a person's salvation in such a negative way. Well, let's dispel a few things. First, 
It is not us who's making this judgment. When we are faithful to the scriptures, we recognize that the scriptures clearly teach on these things. On the necessity of right belief, ethics, and relationally in love. Hence, the scriptures declare the judgment, and we just proclaim what the scriptures say. Second, it is far more worrisome for us to proclaim someone saved. We do not have the authority to declare an individual saved. We have the authority to proclaim the gospel. We have the authority to practice church discipline. We have the authority to speak against unrighteousness and for righteousness. But we do not have the authority to declare an individual to be saved. That authority lies in the hands of God alone. He declares individuals to be saved. As individuals, we can then look to the scriptures to see if we are or not. And and through the scriptures, God gives us assurance of the salvation which we know is found only in Jesus Christ. So it is with this that I encourage everyone to take seriously what is being said with their confession. For far too long we have held this belief that if individuals pray a prayer, or if they raise their hand during a prayer, or if they simply profess Jesus as Lord, they will absolutely be saved. Yet, this is not what the scriptures teach. Throughout John's letter and throughout the scriptures, there is a recognition that salvation is a work of God through Christ, and that work of God through Christ will result in fruit produced by the Spirit in us through repentance of sin and faith in Christ. Thus, the confession is not only a profession, but a recognition of all of who Jesus is. It is our responsibility to be faithful. It is our responsibility to stand firm and speak the truth no matter what the cost. It is our responsibility to check our assurances of salvation against the scriptures. And it is our responsibility to trust in God to work out this salvation within those whom he has called. It is not easy to accept certain things are out of our hands, especially when we care for individuals so much. But there is far more more hope for us and others knowing salvation is in God's hands rather than our own. We have heard and we remember that we are vessels of power, but that power is not our own but God's. If there is anyone we can trust to bring about the salvation of ourselves, our friends, our family, and loved ones, it is God himself. Even more spectacular is that he uses us in this by having us proclaim this gospel. We are the ones whom God uses to spread the message of love, joy, hope, peace, and redemption. It is through his gospel that conversion, a true confession of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, occurs. Therefore, have hope. God is more powerful than the darkness around us. We don't just read about it in scriptures. It's true. He sent his light into the world, and that light, this light can penetrate any darkness. All that is required of us is to be faithful to our own confession of Jesus, who is the Son of God. When we are faithful in this, the world will see the love of God displayed in us and among us, and in this way they will recognize the truth of God. So let's maintain our responsibility to be faithful and to remember to have hope in the confession which we have made, knowing that if we confess confess to all of who Jesus is, then we abide in the love of God through him. Now this leads me to the gospel, but I have a first paragraph. Ultimately, it should not surprise us how important it is for us to confess Jesus is the Son of God. 
In the first century, such a statement would be heretical to Jews and Gentiles alike. We remember that much of Jesus' teaching were very similar, actually, to the Pharisaic community. This teaching, however, that he was the Son of God, was completely separate. Thus, to confess this would be a confession of the greatest self-proclamation Jesus made. And if we confess to this, then the rest of the confession falls into place. For to believe and to confess Jesus is the Son of God, and then to live in a way contrary to him, would mean that confession is worthless. For who would confess Jesus is the Son of God, and then ignore the rest of his teachings? It would be antithetical to accept the most significant teaching he proclaimed and then ignore the rest. It doesn't make sense. And that's why I think in Acts chapter 9, when Paul finally is converted, that's the proclamation he makes, if you read it, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's why it's so significant for him, of all people, after persecuting these Christians who said the same thing, for him to do that. Because it is the greatest proclamation we can make, it's the greatest confession we can make, and therefore it makes most sense to follow that confession to its natural course, which is to live for him. Thankfully, this then leads us directly to the gospel. Because it is through the gospel such confession of all of who Jesus is takes place. Because of the gospel, we can have true knowledge and true belief in the love of God for us through Christ Jesus. And this gospel begins with our origins. God created the cosmos by the power of his word. Last of all, he created humanity to bear his image. It's because God is a God of love, of reason, because he knows, he can be known, has personhood, morality. He shows hesed, we can as well. Likewise, it is here we find the reason for the sanctity, the dignity, and worth the human life which we cling so dearly to. Yet like God, we are also able to choose We could either follow God in obedience in life or follow sin into disobedience in death. We chose the latter and have continued to make that choice ever since. And it's because of this, when we see the brokenness in people between them and God, themselves, other people and the world, and when we recognize it within ourselves, we can see that it is because of this sin. Likewise, it is because of our sin we continue to accrue a greater moral guilt before our God every day. And it's not just a feeling of feeling guilty, but a true guilt before a true judge. God could have left us in this state, but instead he sent the crux of the gospel. He sent his light and his word into the darkness, and that was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, lived, died, and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. By his blood, We are cleansed for our sin. By his sacrifice, we have propitiation so we are no longer under the wrath of God. And by him, we are made righteous before our God. Our relationships are being restored. And through his victory in life over death, we can have victory in life over death. All that is required of us is two things. The first is repentance. We are to turn away from our sin and turn toward God. We are to live lifestyles of bearing good fruit according to the word of God, of living good lives, healthy lives in God's honor. We are to walk in step with the Spirit, walking as Jesus walked in love. We are to turn our love of sin toward God and each other. Likewise, we are to have faith in Christ. 
We must recognize our complete and total dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. We must recognize our inability to attain the glory of God by our deeds, and that it is not what we do, but what Christ has done. We must confess all of who Jesus is, and then follow through in that confession. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. If we remain in disobedience in these things, we will only experience condemnation. None can stand before God with only their deeds in hand, for only Christ is completely righteous, while even our greatest deeds are as filthy rags. None can stand in front of God apart from the advocacy of Jesus Christ the righteous, because of this, any who go before God apart from Christ go to judgment. Yet if we are obedient to God in these things, we will find no condemnation. Instead, we will find the love of God reserved only for His Son, Jesus Christ, and we get to partake of that love. We find victory over sin in this life, where once we gave in to sin as a master, we fight against sin as an enemy. We become co-heirs of an eternal kingdom, where we will experience the peace of God forevermore. My encouragement to you is to let the truth abide in you. That the confession you have made would be a full confession of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. That our confession would not only be a profession, but an adherence to the reality of all of who Jesus is. If Jesus is the Son of God, if we confess it, then let us live it, according to the Word, in step with His Spirit, in love. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And we thank you that we are able to confess at all that Jesus is truly the Son of God. Just as he told us, just as he told his disciples, and just as the disciples proclaimed to all the nations, even though it meant persecution, even though it meant death, even though it meant mockery, they still confess Jesus Christ the Son of God. So, Lord, let us do the same. And even though this world may be falling into darkness, into disarray, into unrighteousness, may we ever uphold this confession, even if it leads us to death. For we know that those who do confess and who put their full assurance in the confession and live in the confession, they live forever because you are the eternal life. And any who abides in you, they also abide in them. And so, Lord, we ask for your grace and your mercy in this. We ask for your holiness to be reflected on us so that we can reflect it onto others. Lord, this world needs us to shine. Without us, the world will just continue into chaos. And it may very well even with us. But let us not grow faint of heart. Let us continue forward in this confession of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise.